Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Black Lives Matter never has such an uncontroversial statement covered for a more radical political movement. That's the thesis of BLM, The Making of a New Marxist Revolution, a new book exposing the radical intellectual undercurrents and leaders of the institutional Black Lives Matter campaign by Mike Gonzalez, the Angeles T. Arredondo e Pluribus Unum Senior Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Mike joins me today to discuss his book. Uh, before we begin, can you tell uh, our listeners a little about yourself and your work at Heritage? Sure. I have been at Heritage for 12 years. Uh, prior to that, I was a uh, speechwriter in the Bush administration, first at the SEC and then at the State Department at the European Bureau. <clears throat> and prior to that, I was a, a, a journalist for close to two decades, 11 of them with the Wall Street Journal. Uh, 10 of those uh, 11 years with the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal. And I lived uh, overseas. I wrote from overseas for 15 years, uh, eight, uh, 10 of those from Asia, and, 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 uh, and then uh, the six of those uh, from uh, Europe, from, mm-hmm. uh, from Belgium. But I covered all of Europe. So I, 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 I have quite an extensive uh, foreign, uh, international background and writing background. Okay. Uh, so on to the book. And before before we discuss the book, I, I have to thank you on behalf of Capital Research Center for your acknowledgement of our work and the work of my colleagues. Um, so the thesis is right there in the title that Black Lives Matter, this mass mass movement, is a new Marxist revolution. That's uh, obviously a bold claim. What do you mean by it? And what's the evidence for it? Well, I... Uh I, I don't think it's that bold a claim, to be honest. I just quote uh, the, the, the leaders and founders of Black Lives Matter. I quote their, the, the people who fund them. I quote uh, the, uh, uh, the, the people who trained them, who, who recruited them, uh, some of them when they were quite young. Uh, and I uh, give the background of, the, of their intellectual mentors, and I quote their intellectual mentors. And in all these cases, all of these people are Marxists. Uh, and let's, let's remind ourselves at this point that Marxism is just a synonym for communism. Uh, Patrice Cullors, uh one of the key founders and leaders of the BLM organizations, when she says, yeah, I am a Marxist, in a video she made uh, quite recently, actually, in 2021, she says, I am a Marxist. I believe in Marxism. Uh, the word communism uh, it just has a bad public relations. So I'm not sure about the value of using the word communism. So she's a communist. She's telling us she's a yeah, communist. Yeah. I uh, mean, Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto. It's kind of all there. In the right. Middle. Right. Exactly. Uh, and, and as with regards to the, uh, the Capital Research Center, I, I, I think you guys are essential in the work that you do in unearthing who funds what uh, on the left. Uh, well, thank you very much for that. Um, so actually, before we get to the the history, sort of in your book, you outline the history of all this intellectual and institutional development. But I think it's important. Let's start with the cast of characters, the, the leaders of Black Lives Matter. Who are they? And then who are their most important intellectual influences? Well, I, I would say this. Uh, everybody says three. I think there's four. Yes, uh, obviously, Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tometi are the, the three main uh, leaders and founders. 
I would also add Melina Abdullah, uh, the leader of the LA chapter, who was there in 2013 when uh, when uh, George uh, Zimmerman is acquitted, uh, and and she's there. Uh, the uh, George, the George, Zimmer, George Zimmerman, just for those who might not remember, is the gentleman uh, who there was an altercation with this African American teenager. Uh, he ended up shooting him. That caused great uh, great unrest, great dissension. Uh, and he was ultimately put on trial for murder and found not guilty. It was uh, adjudged by the jury to be self-defense. Right. He uh, he, he killed uh, Trayvon Martin uh, and was acquitted for it on July 13th, 2013. And that's when, uh, or so goes the story, Alicia Garza wrote a, a Facebook posting in which she said, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, Patrice Coulers threw a hashtag in front of it. And Opaltimedi began to uh, to garner other organizations. Um, I must say, because we're dealing with Black Lives Matter, that I want to make it very clear, and this is important in breaking down the concepts, that the concept of Black Lives Matter is unimpeachable. I I, I myself say Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter to me, personally, I don't have to say all lives matter. It is understood that all lives matter. But I, I can, I'm very comfortable saying that Black Lives Matter because... Black Americans, for reasons everybody will know, I don't have to go into the history of it, have suffered uh, exceptionally in this country, and and so it is. I don't. I think it's it's good to step out of the the way and assert to Black Lives Matter. And, yeah, but Black Lives Matter because they matter. <laughs> right. So this, so that's the concept, and then there's the movement. People say, well, the Black Lives Matter movement is not Marxist. I don't know what a movement is. I I, I grapple with that concept. I. Uh, I guess by movement, meaning the people who march. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe we're talking, you know, maybe we're talking about like a Venn, a ne- like a, a nesting doll or a Venn diagram where the movement includes these institutions that see themselves as the vanguard yeah, but, of this but even larger there, mass. Yeah, even there, the, the movement itself, the people who march or who put up signs on their on their yard, a component of that is just virtue signaling. You know, I went to an Ivy League school and I have a job as a banker. But I want to convey to all my neighbors that I believe, you know, the, the left of center political causes or, or there are people who are truly anguished about the matter in which George Floyd died and marched uh, and had their feelings manipulated. And then there are the organizations and their founders and their leaders. And they're Marxist. They're Marxist. They're very Marxist. They say they're Marxist. They say they hate capitalism. They say they want to replace capitalism. They praise uh, Nicolas Maduro's uh, Venezuelan a direct participatory democracy. Uh, the, which, the, which is, of course, a euphemism for dictatorship. Right, exactly. And they want to bring all that to this country. They say that capitalism is, is racist, which, of course, is a falsehood. Um, and, and they are, were recruited by communists and trained by them. And then, last thing I will say, they, they say their goal is to dismantle the organizing principle of society. That That all of that that the, the, the American system needs to be ripped out. So all I do is quote them. I wrote a book quoting them. Uh, yeah, now, and uh, so now kind of the way the book is structured, much of it is as a is as a history and an assessment of how uh, how these Black Lives Matter activists read that history and, you know, start at the beginning, the founding of the United States of America, uh, the 1619 Project and the rest of Black Lives Matter, uh, one of the core elements of their ideology is that the founding of the United States was to ensconce 
uh, and strengthen what the abolitionists of the 19th century quite reasonably called the slave power. Uh, you dispute that. <laughs> oh, yeah, very much so. I um, uh, this is this is all part of critical race theory. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones' 1619 project, uh, the Black Lives Matters uh, founders and the people who promote CRT, they're all they all emanate from this idea that racism is not an individual act or sin, uh, but it is systemic. It is it is grounded, as, as Richard Delgado would say, a, a, one of the godfathers of critical race theory in the ordinary business of society. The ordinary, the ordinary the racism is, is embedded in the ordinary business of society and is embedded in the founding. And the founding was just a way for these uh, powerful and wealthy men to perpetuate their power and their wealth. Uh, and, and I, so I think, I, I think we need to start with that. Uh, the founding was a, a, a really a wonderful thing. Uh, there was obviously at the Philadelphia Convention, a, 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 there was a compromise that had to be made uh, over whether to ban the, the horrible practice of slavery or not. And uh, they, they had to contend with the fact that Georgia and South Carolina were willing and ready to walk away on the founding of the right, country. Right. The, the question wasn't whether the new United States would have slavery or not. It's whether it would exist or not. Right. Right. And they decided in one of the reasons, as I say in my first chapter, is that the founders were all, all on record as believing that the spirit of 76 would, would wash slavery away. There would be something that would be um, that, that would go away by itself. And in fact, in their days, it, it, it certainly looked that way, and it, because the, right, I mean, like you know, Jefferson dies bankrupt. Uh, right. George Washington spends a bunch of his efforts when he's not, you know, generaling and presidenting, trying to figure out how to make Virginia plantation agriculture profitable, and doesn't really succeed. Uh, you know, and then Eli Whitney shows up with the cotton gin, and John Calhoun shows up with. A very different view of whether all men are in fact created equal. Well, John Calhoun, uh, whom I mentioned a lot in my book, uh, he represents the the, the the enemies of the founding. He hated the founding documents just as much as Ibram Kendi and Black Lives Matter does do. Uh, he, he saw the danger. Him and the slave owners and the racists saw the dangers in the Declaration of the Constitution, and they mounted a, a, a backlash. And they they were successful in the first half of the 20th of the 19th century, rather, in, 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 in making sure that the spirit of liberty that had been born with the revolution did not uh, wash away the institution of slavery. And that's why we had to have a civil war. Right. And then and then so the civil the civil war is fought. Reconstruction is attempted. Uh, unfortunately, reconstruction mostly does not succeed at at uh you know, bringing African Americans to the new freedmen to uh, to legal and social equality, um, and then as the uh, after Plessy v. Ferguson, the uh, the Jim Crow system is ensconced and is taking root and established. Um, you know, and you have the the rise of the of the second Ku Klux Klan in the around the nineteen around nineteen twenty. At that time, our foreign adversaries start trying to turn uh, black Americans to radical ideology, specifically the USSR, to, uh, trying to turn black Americans to communism. You argue they mostly failed. Why? 
Yeah, no, I think they completely failed in the first half of the 20th century. Black Americans have wanted, wanted nothing to do with communism. They, all they were asking is for white Americans to let them in, to, to, to accept them as, as, as just any other citizen, to accept them as, as full members of society, to end segregation, to end racism, to end Jim Crow. They didn't want to split from the United States. They didn't want communism. They wanted, they, they were Americans. They, they were, you know, they had been, as the NAACP uh, said in, in a report that it wrote in the 1950s, they were the, 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 the warp and woof of, of the United States, an intrinsic element of the United States. And uh, they had no interest in that. The only black Americans who were swayed by the entreaties of the Soviet Union and communism were the intellectuals, as, as it was the case with white society. Uh, people like Langston Hughes and W.B. Du Bois uh, were indeed, you know, became were very sympathetic or became communists in the case of W.B. Du Bois. But, but of course, so did Walter Durante, the white Moscow right. right. correspondent for the New York Times. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, they're, they're so, so, you know, Marxism is the opiate of the intellectual. And, and, and uh, they, they, Claude McClay, all these people fell for it. But the but black Americans, by and large, did not. Mm-hmm. And then after, so after World War II, as the civil rights movement takes takes hold and starts to act, gain uh, political and social success, the the 1960s radicals come into come into uh, come into force, and they seem to have more success than the Soviets did. Yeah, but again, yes, again with a a, a small, but but. but Quite verbal, quite outspoken minority of white of whites and, and blacks. Uh, you have a couple of forces there. First, you have the the decolonization uh, revolutions taking place all over the world, as as people in Africa and Asia are throwing off their their, their European colonial masters, and then you have the Cuban Revolution, which is very important to uh, many Americans, especially to uh, the, the Americans, who, the white Americans who, who created students for a democratic society and later the weather on the ground, they were enamored of the Cuban Revolution, as so was Angela Davis and Stokely Carmichael, all of whom tracked to Havana and, and, and all, all the others. I, I think it's important. You mentioned Angela Davis. She is one of the important characters in your book. Yeah, she she plays a key role in my book. She is a for people who don't remember Angela Davis, she's still around. She's very active. She was a, a, a Black Panther who went to prison for her involvement in the killing of a judge. She bought the gun with which a judge was killed in an attempted jailbreak. Uh, she she went on the lam. She was captured. Then she was acquitted uh, by a jury uh, in, in the early 70s. And uh, she she went on and went to went to Havana. Uh, I went, went to East Berlin was given the Lenin Peace Prize by Eric Honecker. This is the most repressive communist government in the, of the Soviet of satellites. Uh, she was very she 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 was very critical of Soviet dissidents. Uh, she, she just repeated Soviet propaganda. She ran on the Communist Party ticket twice uh, as vice president. Uh, she is a communist. She goes today to universities and says, "I'm a communist. I've always been a communist." And students. Who don't know anything because they haven't been taught anything, give her a standing ovation. Uh, she was she studied philosophy with Herbert Marcuse, 
uh, a very influent, the, the, the guru of the new left, a member of the Frankfurt School and, and a critical theorist. And she goes on to become the intellectual influence of the three Black Lives Matter founders. She writes a foreword for Patrice Coulouris' book. She she appears in several occasions with Alicia Garza. Alicia Garza showers her with praise. They all say, uh, look, you, we have read your works. You are our main intellectual mentor. So this is like, and I, I jest kind of the way, you know, you go from Socrates to Plato to Aristotle. Uh, you go to Marcuse, to Angela Davis, to the Black Lives Matter organizations, leaders and founders. Obviously, I'm not comparing them. Right. But, but, but what, you're, what you're saying is that in the sort of the intellectual coaching tree, you know, yes. she's a core node of that intellectual coaching tree. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, um, so, so you compare in 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 the book, you compare BLM to Antifa, and we've discussed uh, on this show BL, uh, not BLM, um, Antifa with journalist Mark Hemingway, uh, and you say you hold that criticizing Antifa has become something of a safe space for conservative activists and politicians. What do yeah. you mean by that, and what makes BLM as or more dangerous to the social and constitutional fabric than what is a violent extremist group? So Antifa is much easier to criticize. Antifa does not have Black Lives Matter as its title. <laughs> you know, Antifa doesn't have a, a beautiful concept to hide behind. Uh, but Antifa, so, so, you know, a lot of conservative politicians will, will, will stump the table and, and rail against Antifa and will say nothing about Black Lives Matter, whereas Black Lives Matter... It's a really powerful. We live in a Black Lives Matter America right now, uh, for reasons that I will explain. But look, Antifa does not have a curriculum that is being taught, uh, being reached out to the country's 14,000 school districts. Antifa does not have millions of dollars in the bank. Antifa does not have bills in Congress or, 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 or does not co-sponsor bills in Congress. Antifa uh, does not have a, a coherent uh, discipline such as... Um, uh, a, a critical race theory, Antifa mm -hmm. is not changing our society the way critical, the way Black Lives Matter has changed our society already. So I think that Black Lives Matter is, and by the way, Antifa is also not. It, it, it has some Marxist elements, and definitely of the left. But Antifa is anarchist. Anarchists are like libertarians; mm -hmm. they'll never obtain power. Communists obtain power. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they they obtain power and keep it, uh, and that's to me. The, the, the big threat that I see in Black Lives Matter, we live today uh, with critical race theory accosting us in every aspect of our lives. And as we saw with the New York Times reporting last night, a big report is coming out. That it's official. The homicide rate increased by 30 percent, 30 percent, 30 percent in 2020. Uh, it is the, the biggest hike in the homicide rate ever in American history in a year. And uh, to me, it's unquestionable that it has to do with Black Lives Matter, the fact that the police, the the, the, the anti-police activism. Yes. So so we live in many ways in a in a BLM America, um, uh, and, and it's 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 an inferior uh, life uh, as a result of, of BLM's influence. So you know, recognizing that that influence, what can be done about it? Uh, what can be done to uh, to push back against the revolutionary elements that BLM is trying to introduce into schools, civic life, politics, etc. Well, 
first become informed, read my book, uh, you know, um, I just, just understand the New York Times is not going to tell you this. The Washington Post is not going to tell you this. I, they, they have abdicated their responsibility. That is the reason I wrote my book, BLM, The Making of a New Marxist Revolution. Uh, you know, there are, there are many ways in which you can uh, channel your dollars to make, to make clear, to, to, to make sure that the, the, life, the lives of black Americans are improved, to close the, the, the achievement gaps between blacks and whites, which, which are worrying. Uh, to, to nothing that BLM does will ever do any of that. On the contrary, they, they, they worsen the lives of black Americans. So, so understand, you know, I want to create a, a, a climate of opinion that, that will lead, as, as, as Milton Friedman said, will lead even bad politicians to do the right thing. Uh, to, 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 to understand that America is not perfect. America's no country is going to be perfect, but America's pretty good. Uh, I have lived in many, many, many different countries. Uh, at least seven countries, if you, if you if you count at least a year, many more if you count months. You know, before we rip out the foundations of this country and completely change our society, we have to consider whether this is really what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, well. Uh, Thank you again for joining us, Mike Gonzalez. Uh, Again, your book title is BLM, The Making of a New Marxist Revolution. Uh, Our listeners can pick it up at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or other booksellers. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.